It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. We're the defective characters. Three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, we're in for a real treat. Paul H. will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us in this episode 58 of the Defective Characters Podcast. Let's go. Hello, gentlemen. I feel, hey. le- I feel left out of the party. So you guys, you guys are all in the same room, and I didn't get the memo that we were doing that. So I'm bummed out. Not only, not only are we in the same room, we're actually in the studio. Yeah, you're in the studio that, that we haven't studio. actually... When's the last time that we were all in there? Was it like March? Like seven months ago or so? Yeah. Man, that was a long like, time ago. So is there anything Pixie, new? Pixie, are, 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 are there... Pixie the Unicorn is here. And okay. Herman the cat here. We you do have, have Halloween decorations. No, we have more Christmas lights up and more like foliage on the ceiling. <laughs> and we now have a Zen waterfall. Nice. It's mighty peaceful here. Yeah, I I love that. And uh, and today we have a, a special treat too, uh, which I love. I don't know who wants to introduce our speaker today. Uh, you guys can I'll draw let, straws. I'll let. James do it because he hasn't said anything yet. Okay. I'm I haven't said anything because I'm still social distancing and I've got my mask on and and that's just because I'm under orders from uh, the commander, if you will. Yeah. Here she is. Hold on. <laughs> she's li- she's she is listening I, right now too. So it's I probably actually good. thought of you, Dennis, when I bought these. Well, like because they're converts. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I'm going to introduce Paul here. Um, I've known Paul for. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I've known him for about two years. I, I've I started to get to know him. And over the past, um, I don't know, half a year, I've really got to hang out with him and um, learn about his character. And um, he's a, he's a father like me. He's got a, a son, uh, 17 or 18. Uh, and uh, you should see him with his son. He just, it's just amazing. You know, he's, he's, you can tell he really looks up to his father and um, you know, he's, he's always in a good mood and he is always uh, smiling and laughing at my dumb jokes and uh, his laughter is contagious and uh, he's, he's a good guy. You know, he's got this program, he's sober and um, you know, he's helping others. So he's, he's what it, what's, what it's all meant, what it's all meant to be about. And uh, I'm happy to introduce Paul. Uh, I love this man. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. This is Paul. I'm Paul, an alcoholic. My sobriety date is uh, June 1st, 2015. So I haven't found it necessary to take a drink since then. Um, I have a sponsor and I sponsor. Actually, uh, just recently, I just started working with someone. So, and that's quite a cool experience because that shows us, uh, Basically, 
you know, this is kind of like where we need to go after we get to a certain point. We do got to, we got to reach out and we got to try to help somebody on their journey too, as well. And these guys that have been around me, Dennis, James, Mike, you know, it goes on and on, Matt and Jarrett, you know, they've been around me a lot, especially recently. And so that's become a huge part of my story. Although I've had over 52 years to prepare the story. Um, but you know, the, what it's like now is still the best part, but we're not at that part yet. So I guess I'm going to back up to, oh, I don't know, somewhere around like 1967, October 21st. <laughs> um, that's when uh, that's when I would officially come into this type of world, into this human experience. And it was in a little hospital called St. Agnes Hospital. And it was in a little town of about 35,000 people, which is about an hour north of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, you know, the, it was the atypical uh, Midwestern um, mill town, factory town, you know, and people were pretty set in their ways there. And especially when it came to um, drinking, you know, that was, uh, that was quite pretty much everybody's favorite pastime. And I grew up with it all around me. Um, so it's no surprise that eventually I would get my hands on it, but I didn't really, really give it, get my hands on it because maybe more than, you know, like most kids is curiosity and things like that. The reason why I basically, took a liking to is because I knew that it would help me escape and get to a place where I felt nobody could really touch me. You know, nobody could bother me, you know, and that was a great thing for me. And that was a, it was kind of a solution to the problem that I had, you know, I don't know if it was social anxiety, who knows what it was. And back then, you know, we didn't have all of these things that were going on where, you know, ADHD, ADD, all that kind of stuff. So I don't even know if I, maybe I would have fallen in the spectrum. You never know. But all I know is by the time I was in second grade, uh, my mom would remind me of this every now and then jokingly. Um, I just, I couldn't quite fit in with any of the kids and I was really disruptive. So they thought it'd be best if I left the public school system and went into the parochial system by way of Catholic school. And uh, I guess they thought it was maybe have the nuns straighten me out a little bit. That might work, you know, but and the irony of the whole thing is I, my dad is the deacon in the Catholic churches in our community as well. So, you know, here I am, I, I'm growing up in a family that's kind of like pillars in the, in the church and in the community. And, you know, my brothers are good guys and everything like that. And for every, as far as everybody else knew, I was a pretty good kid growing up. I was really involved in a lot of sports and music planned on excelling in sports. Actually, I kind of thought that that would be my ticket into college, that kind of thing. Um, that wouldn't work out so well with injuries and things like that. Back in those days, you could kind of get away with a lot more things that they talk, they call doping today. But, you know, um, in those days it was a little different, you know, coaches got had a lot more leeway with the kids. So that, but it was all about, it was all about trying to be something that I didn't feel that I was, you know, we often say that, we didn't fit in, but the reality was, is as I look back on it now, I didn't want to fit in and, but I didn't really know where I wanted to go. I just didn't, just didn't really want to be around the norms. Um, and it, it just couldn't identify with it back then. Of course, by the time I was 18, I would graduate high school and off into the world I would go. Um, I actually did do a semester at college. I was going to do a English major. But then by the time that semester was up, I came up with a different plan and I would get involved in a, a whole different world. Um, and that would last the next 12 years, possibly solid of my life. And it would trickle on for a few years after that. 
um, I grew up around the biker world. Um, so, you know, especially as a teenager and all, all my friends and, you know, all of their dads were all into it. So it was, it was kind of pretty much all around us. Um, and I would get pretty well, I guess, entrenched into that type of lifestyle. And, you know, I won't mention, I won't, I, I, I make a point not to mention the affiliation that I had with, with certain motorcycle clubs and things like that, because I don't believe that they deserve the credit or the glory on that. Um, that's honestly how I feel today, but it took a long time to get to this point to actually feel that way. Um, and I think that they're often, if, if the more they seem to get recognized and thrown out there, it seems like the, the, the more you're feeding the bad wolf. So I just don't, I don't think it's always a good thing. So I'm, I won't mention any of that, but I will mention that I also had a relationship with, with, with a, uh, an entity on the other side of the U S border in Mexico. And of course I can't mention any, you know, anything that goes along with that, but I can tell you that my lifestyle would involve, um, you know, pretty much high end criminal activity and it became a norm. And I managed to do that for a number of years and get away with a lot. Uh, well, so I thought anyway, it would come up, it would come back to haunt me years later. Um, but I would continue that all the way through to the point where I would, I would even get sacrifice a few years of my life, some freedom that way, you know, and then get come back out into the society and, and continue back with that type of behavior. And into those type of, those types of crimes that came along with it. But somehow I would manage to crawl my way all the way to a point where my wife would, would finally find me, you know, and to this day, I, <laughs> I still don't, I can't quite figure out why she decided to pick me. She kind of knew a little bit about my background and we knew each other a little bit growing up, but obviously she didn't know, as I was discussing earlier, actually I was talking with Dennis and she didn't know any to the extent of it, you know, and I lived a Jekyll and Hyde life. And, um, I think that that started to take its toll on me though, because I started to wear down and I started to, I started to get kind of sloppy and I started to trip up a little bit to the point where the people that would, you know, there's always people that are always on, on the other, on the other side of the law that kind of let you know, things are going on. And I remember uh, a friend of mine kind of gave me a tip that things were going to be pretty bad and things, you know, you might want to get uh, lay low for a while. I did. You know, and those are the kind of, when I talk about police officer friends, <laughs> those are the kind of friends that I had, you know, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a real, wasn't a real bright, shiny world. Um, and I even had to the point where I worked a regular day job and I continued that activity, you know, it was like my, my weekend warrior, you know, thing going on there. Uh, eventually I would start that process of making those um, notorious apologies and sorries and announcements of that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to quit drinking, you know, but then unfortunately that, that, that doesn't really, it doesn't mean that we're anywhere near the end of this yet. You know, <laughs> this is, has to go on for another probably five, six, seven years before the, you know, that would actually take place because that was, that was the promise that I kept making over and over. Even if my kids were begging me not to drink, you know, my daughter, I remember, this is probably one of the most heartbreaking parts of, of even with all the things that I've been through up to this point is having your own child look at you and say, you mean you're going to choose alcohol over me? And I did, you know, I, I told her that, you know, that's how sick I was, you know, 
total disregard for life. No, you know, not no respect for, for God's work standing right in front of me. Um, and I think about that today and we have a great relationship today though. I don't know. She, in fact, she just told me not too long ago when we were having one of our talks that she can't even picture me drinking. She can't picture me like that, you know, and that's, that's a pretty good thing to hear from your, from your daughter, you know, it kind of makes you feel like, Hey, things have changed, you know, but anyway, I'll back up a little bit. So here I am, uh, I am married and I, you know, so I have my first hostage. Some people call that a wife. Um, and then we would bring in a few more children or hostages into the world. I would raise them or supposedly I would think that I was raising them, you know, with my wife. But my wife was the one that was doing all the work because I was too busy. You know, I was too busy. I had to, I had to work and I had, I had things to do, you know. And when I wasn't doing that, I was sitting out in the garage drinking, thinking about all the, the major things I was going to do in life and, you know, all the, all the big projects that were going to go on. Um, and then eventually what would happen is we would, we would find our way to uh, Florida in 2011. Um, there was a lot that was going on both on my side of the story and story. And so, and my wife's as well, you know, there were some things that happened there where it was just kind of, we're just, we're done. We needed to get out of there. And we, and it's probably the best thing we could have done. Although some people might look at it a little differently. They might think that we, you know, maybe it was the worst thing we could have done, like it caused a rift because after about two years, yeah, two years living here um, on, in 2013, my son would die. And he would drown in my pool. And I don't even have to really go into the details of how tragic that is and how heartbreaking it is. Um, because in all reality, what I would learn to do is basically try to continue to get people to feel sorry for me because it's the worst thing that anybody could have happen to them. And it's a great excuse to stay drunk. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I continued that process for another solid year and a half or so, but along the way, I would, I would get a really great bond with my dad that I hadn't had in years. I mean, we spent a lot of times on, on the phone at night and, um, sometimes I was drinking, sometimes I wasn't, you know, or sometimes I was trying to not as much, you know, play that game, but he always knew I could tell, um, you know, but he he would spend a better part of that year, which was his last year here, um, talking to me an awful lot. And, and nobody else in the family knew this, not even, not even my mom, I think, um, how many nights he stayed up and he was, you know, talking me off the edge, talking me down from the ledge kind of thing, you know, over and over. Um, and then he, he, he had uh, he already was in the program at that point, too about two and a half years sobriety um and so and i knew you know what i mean and, and i had dabbled in it years before that too you know but i think it was in was for a court case i remember i took aa so seriously back at the time because my lawyer suggested that i do that because it would look better you know when we went to court that's about as much effort as i had ever put into aa seriously and I saw the results that it was giving my dad, you know, and things were changing for him. But, you know, even though I didn't want any part of it, then the, the seed was being planted, you know. 
especially during one of our last conversations that I would have with him on the phone. Um, and he told me that every night he would pray and, you know, and pray that I would find God again. You know, he called me, he needed to call me Polly or Boomer. Boomer was my nickname growing up. And uh, he'd say, Boomer, that's all I pray for all the time. And I said, well, you know what I think about that, Dad? I said, about your God, the God that you, you know, say that controls everything, blah, blah, blah. He took my son, you know, that, that God. And I said, well, F your God. You know, I choose not to use those types of words today anyway, and I don't think it'd be appropriate. But I think everybody gets the idea there. And it was a little, little bit of a silence on the other end of the phone, and I didn't know if I really finally got one in on the old man and he had no response or, you know, finally, you know, here I am with my ego thinking I really took it to him on that one, you know, and his quiet little response back was, that's a start. And I always share that part of my story. I think pretty much whenever I do talk or anything, because it's probably one of the most important parts of the beginning of step zero for me. Um, you know, because it would acknowledge that I would, you know, that there's something bigger than me, you know, I look back on it today and I think, my, I think God would take me any way, shape or form angry or not, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, that's the God that I believe in today. Um, but it would take another solid year or so before I would actually try to even, you know, do something about this. And uh, my dad would die October, um, the anniversary just a few days ago, 2014. So, so the last thing that I have kind of keeping me off the ledge is now gone at this point. And so, you know, pretty much all bets are off. We all know what it's like. We either get to that point where we're going to maybe try to get some help or we're taking it to the bitter end. And my decision was take it to the bitter end. So that was my plan. Um, I didn't think there was any other real options anyway. I didn't think that there would ever be any, you know, any chance that they'd keep me from, you know, doing something stupid if, even if I was sober, you know, because I just couldn't, I'm not so sure if I ever had any kind of an actual sober moment, you know, for a number of years at this point. Um, I would start going to AA that same month. October 2014 and it would take me 13 white chips and all the way to June 1st 2015 you know where I'd actually draw my first real breath of sober fresh air um, and that was I got to the point where that the very last day my very last drink ended the same way we hear the same story over and over and I remember looking at the bottle and I was saying, you know what? It's going to be different this time. It's going to work. You know, I just know it's going to work. And lo and behold, that's the very last thing that I remember as well, because um, there was, there would end up being paramedics at my house. And, and, you know, basically we can kind of see where this, it didn't end very well at all. Um, I don't remember much of what happened. All I could do was piece together whatever my wife was willing to tell me or the kids might let out every now and then or something like that. Or um, if uh, there was somebody that came over who eventually would be my sponsor, 
he came over to try to talk some sense into me. And actually he just told me to go to bed because at that point with, you know, there's nothing you can do. We've seen that a thousand times probably. Um, so the next day, the next evening, I'm sitting on a park bench in celebration with the then sponsor at that time. And, uh, just a little guy. He's half my age, and but he's seemed to have something that I wanted. So that's how he ended up being my sponsor, even though I hadn't used him at all. But from that day moving forward, I would learn that I would have to, otherwise I was I was going to make it. There wasn't another chance at it, I think, because he asked me. He had asked me if I if if well, he said we need to get you somewhere, get you through the steps, or you're going to die. And I remember thinking that that's the first time that I actually believed it, that when, when somebody said that, because that's how I felt. I felt like I was really just going to die. I had nothing left. There was no gas in the tank, you know. Let's face it, my son's gone, my dad's gone. No, that's, you know, what's the point? But I, it was kind of like I didn't want to live, but I really didn't want to die. It was kind of like at that in-between point, you know. And... Then he asked me if I was willing to go to any length. And I answered him honestly and truthfully. And I said, I don't know. Because I no longer had any answer that I thought somebody wanted to hear or something that even maybe I thought would make sense, that kind of thing. It was really, really to the point where I was finally spent. And, and as I just heard recently, one of the best <laughs> descriptions of it was the pain was finally much greater than everything else. You know, it had consumed me to the point where couldn't even probably put together a complete sentence when I talked at the time. I just, all I could do is pretty much mutter and mumble and, you know, um, because I had made a, I'd made a pretty good career at trying to stay away from people and still work a job and really try not to engage in any contact with people because I didn't want them to ever get in the way of what I was doing. And that was destroying my life, you know, but I didn't see it at that time. You know, of course, so here I'm surrounded by people that care about me and I'm, I'm not too sure about that either. You know, everybody, you guys all have something that I, I kind of wanted, but I didn't know what it was, but I wasn't sure if I was, you know, wasn't sure if I could ever get this thing or fit in because you guys just didn't seem, you know, like you were the same, you know, and I, mean, I just didn't, couldn't identify very well at the time. But finally, when uh, I guess finally when I fell on my face hard enough, that I had no other choice. I, I was desperate and that's exactly where I needed to be. I needed to finally be to the point where I was desperate and I had nowhere else to go. Um, I knew that alcohol wasn't working for a long, long time, but I didn't know any other way. So I basically came in probably the same way so many other people do. And that is, I didn't know any other way. And I thought, well, I'll give this a shot. Whatever, well, what, what I got to lose, you know, I had no idea that I was not only going to get sober, that I was actually going to work the steps, but I had no idea I was going to have the spiritual experience that I was going to have and then continue to have along this journey. Um, I remember step three. A lot of people say, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. And it really wasn't. When I went into it, my, my sponsor really helped me out with that a lot. It said that all you got to do is make a decision to go on with the rest of the steps. I'm like, ah, that's cool. And he said, but we're going we're gonna to go through and we're going to say the step three prayer and stuff like that, you know, and we'll do all that. And as I'm doing it, 
I literally could hear the old man. Like he just came flying by me, like right behind me. This is me on my knees, my sponsor on his knees in front of me. And we're, we're, we're doing this. And I could hear attaboy. Polly. You know, I could like hear the old man. And I thought, okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> I'll go with that one. And, uh, I knew I was in the right place. I just could feel it at that point. It made sense. We would go through, you know, steps four through nine. And if, I'll tell you, yeah, the fifth step was tough. Um, there were some things that I had to tell someone and things that I would discover about myself that I, I wasn't too sure about this deal. You know, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how this is going to go down. You know? Um, and I did a thorough one, but I ended up having to actually repeat step, you know, steps four and five recently with my current sponsor uh, because things happen. And like they say, like at five years, we get our marbles back. We also get a lot of our, part of our memory back too. And so things would kind of surface that I was not real comfortable with and I had to deal with them. But we have a tool to do that. You know, see, that's how it works. It says it and how it works. <laughs> you know, kind of funny how that thing happens. Um, I would, uh, at a year, finally, uh, my sponsor and I would fire each other and I would have the current sponsor that I have now. And, uh, it was kind of like picking the toughest guy in the room, uh, which was a good idea for me because that's what I needed. Um, I had someone that took me through the steps and now I need someone that's going to kind of help me with, with a you know, this life thing and, and how to be sober with it and incorporate AA into life, you know, because that's not something that I was ever willing to do before. And I, I would try to live in compartments or components, you know, compartmentalize my life. You know, there's work life, there's crime life, there's family life, and then there's AA life eventually. And, you know, I'm just going to try to keep doing that. And I didn't really understand the concept of, no, it becomes one life. You know, it all becomes, it comes together, you know, and that, but it would take a little bit before I'd get to that point. So Danny would start working with me and it was, it wasn't too bad because it's pretty easy to follow his suggestions. Um, we talk about the promises and I can say that promises are true and they're, they come true and they're a gift. Um, and I haven't had any type of life like this. I couldn't imagine the way I am. Like James was saying when he, when he was introducing me, you know, he's happy, he's smiling. And you know what? I got to say, I don't know. I'm just going to be kind of safe on this number. A good 80% of my day. That's how I feel. You know, um, there are moments. And those moments came from certain low spots, I think. Like there's this guy in California, Rob, that said it. You know, he said the certain low spots ahead. And it always kind of would stick with me. Kind of made sense. Because most of the time, you know, there's a life where I'm happy, joyous, and free, you know. And there's a lot of pink cloud things that still go on even today for me. Um, but we also need to realize that when we're on the path of happiness, not searching for the path to happiness, I like to add that part, when we're on the path of happiness, and we, even if we stay on the path, there's those low spots. And... My sobriety was, was really going well, you know, the program was going well. Things were just, things are clicking on all cylinders. Life was good. Job stuff was good. Kids are, you know, everybody's doing okay. Um, and then on April 4th, 2019, last year, um, I would 
end up getting some interesting news um, that would really be a game changer. Thanks, Dennis. Um, I had to itch my foot, so I took my shoe off. So Dennis is so kind to hold the phone for me. Well, anyway. No, it's not a phone. It's a high-tech, very expensive microphone. <laughs> That's <laughs> it is. I, I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm I, it's a, yeah, yeah, I meant I meant what he said. <laughs> um, so on April 4th, uh, last year, we would learn that my wife is stage four cancer, small cell lung, and was already metastasizing. I haven't said that in a while, so I'm sorry. Excuse me. Anyway, um, so basically... We had three, we had three, uh, you know, consultations, if you will, three opinions. Um, and all of them said the same thing that at best, maybe she could take treatment if she was able, even able to, because my wife was very tiny and had already been through some medical stuff up to this point, but you know, some, you know, things were kind of okay, you know, so we thought, um, so she could, you know, the option was there if she wanted to, but it probably wouldn't help her much because, it was, they gave her six months. So, you know, looking back on that now, it's almost like I kind of started the grieving process then. Um, I just wasn't really, I just didn't, wasn't aware of it. You know, um, this is kind of maybe some of it might've been a, a defense mechanism. I don't know what it would have been, but survival. But it, we would, um, we would go through that next six months and I don't know, you know, if anybody's been through that process, um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rough and your life pretty much becomes sneak off to work and then run home and, and, you know, take care of things there because, uh, that you, it's kind of sad to say it, but you, you know, you, you watch someone decline and they go through different phases. And as you're going along, you know, you're, we had hospice too. And so as you're going along, you know, they explain kind of where things are at and that way I could sit the kids down and explain where, to them where things were at. And so it was just kind of this ongoing circle. And, and as we would continue to move on through the process and I'm totally in a mechanical mode now, you know, um, I'm not coming around the meetings much because, you know, my life has become pretty much that. And I'm on the phone with people, you know, and that was the best I could do. And as we'd come towards the end of this, this journey, you know, we're, um, you know, my wife, she was tough. She, she would literally like plan things out and make sure certain things were in place along the way too. You know, she still was doing it all the way up into the very last four days. You know, I came home on a Tuesday and she said, well, she said, I mean, they're going to have to go to the hospital or you guys are going to have to come up with something where I'm going to, you know, she said, because, you know, this is it. That's how tough my wife was. She knew, you know, you know, I'd like to, you know, when I look back and I think, oh boy, you know, typical man and the man of the house, you know, we think we wear the pants. <laughs> I'm here to tell all the guys out there that that is not true. You know, um, and you learn that sometimes in very difficult ways. You know, and that's what would happen sometime soon. 
Um, so on October 25th, 2019, my wife passed away and she was laid to rest on Halloween. Um, and when we would come back here, we, we, we took her, we had taken her back home where we're from and that's where she was laid to rest. And I couldn't, oddly enough, I couldn't wait to get back here because that life back there, I've been, I'm no part of it. And I, I felt like a, a visitor in my old, old hometown because I was no longer a part of it. You know, so it was a very strange, very strange feelings, multiple things going on at the same time. And, but I just wanted to get back here because somehow I knew that being back here, even though this is where all the bad things have happened, you know, I mean, and all the losses and things like that. I wanted to get back here for some reason because I knew I'd be safe somehow, you know. When we get back, I would probably spend the next couple of months occasionally popping into a meeting. That would be about the best I could do um, because I got to a point where I was beginning to isolate and I would be, I was stuck in that same pattern that I'd been in while my wife was sick. I couldn't get out of it because when all of the stuff ended and all the preparation and, you know, and things, you know, and things that we had to go through when, when, when it was all done, I didn't know what to do. I had no idea. I was stuck and I just would leave for work and I would come back home and then I would just sit there, you know, just kind of go through the motions and what I was doing was I was going to that old familiar place that I learned to go to when I was a kid. And I wanted to go to that dark place where nobody could touch me because I was afraid of everything. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't know who I could trust anymore because I'd spun that web so bad, you know, to that place. The only thing I had was I was sober. There wasn't much sobriety going on. And I really started to, at that point, I remember I really, realized the true meaning of God is everything or he is nothing because I got myself to a point where I had nothing left and the only thing left was God. And it's amazing how big God can get when he's the only thing there. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny how that works. Most people, their God gets bigger and bigger as they continue on their journey. <laughs> For me, I had to get to nothing and to get down back to that place where, where it was just, I had nothing left. And God would find a way to get me back in the herd. And he would, he would, you know, I would have to give someone a ride or I would all, you know, but one way or another, I was going to meetings every day just about. And I was back in the herd and things were going good, really good. And to the point where I'm starting to feel like I want to be part of life again. And I'm no longer in this place where you know, there's so much sadness. Um, and that's all because of AA, because it was the people in AA through God, you know, that were actually reaching out to me over and over and over again, you know. And, and when I would talk to somebody on the phone, they're like, yeah, I'd be sure like to see you come around. You know, it sure be great to see you. There was people that were always still reaching out one way or another. You know, they kept doing it. They kept doing it. You know, and I finally got to the point where I was back comfortable in my own skin. And then all of a sudden we had this pandemic thing show up, you know, and then I'm going to try to do this Zoom meeting thing. And Oh, my God, that was a disaster. I just I'm not disciplined enough for that. 
So once again, the same, the same group of people would throw the lasso out and, and figure out a way to keep me doing things and keep me, keep me active. If we couldn't go to meetings, we could still maybe go out and ride bicycles and go four wheeling and do all these things that were, you know, that were keeping us, we could still social distance too and still have fun. Um, you know, because if I wouldn't have had that happen, I, I'm sure I would have said, well, you know what? I'm going to isolate. Here we go. Cause that's my, that's my MO. You know, even though I know what's good, you know, I, I it's, it's, you know, the, everything that I get that has been good, I still run away from it every now and then too, for some reason. Um, that gets less and less though, you know, especially now lately, it seems like lately it's been, there's been like new life, you know, and things are back and we're kind of moving around a little more, you know, getting more active. And that's a big thing for me. I need to have that. So I can be around people like James and Dennis. I just laugh. I laugh so hard sometimes that I actually have a cramp in my stomach. You know, there's times when I'll be laughing and I think I'm going to die because I can't even breathe. You know, I never thought that I would have a life like that. Even in, in sobriety with the things that have gone on, I figured my life would just be maybe average at best. You know, but it would turn out to be a life that that was just beyond imagination. I have more fun now than I ever have in my entire life. I laugh more than I ever have in my life. And I care about people more than I ever have in my life. And I love people. And at this, you know, with all of that, it's because I let I let people love me, too. You know, I let that in. Um. The greatest, one of the greatest gifts that I think that come from this is being able to watch people grow and go through their things. Um, it's like, uh, you know, it's, when you're in, the, when you have a little a core within a herd, you know, a little group of people and you kind of watch people a little bit more than the normal um, and everybody takes their turn or sometimes there's more than one at, at, you know, a couple of people at the same time where they're just really popping. They're really bright. They're like the shining ones, you know what I mean? And, and that keeps going around in the group. Everybody keeps having those moments. And that's that's the beauty of it, you know. Um, so even if you're not totally on the top of your A game or on the pink cloud, somebody close by you is, and you get to feel that too, you know. Um, I never thought that I would feel that way about life, especially living the life that I, that I came from. I, you know, I don't like to spend much time talking about that world anymore because it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't, it doesn't match the direction that we're going in. Um, that behavior, that thinking, you know, and quite frankly, it's not fun. And I'll take the fun stuff. You know, that's where we're at. Um, I guess if I was to say anything out there for newcomers, um, the only thing... The, the only suggestion that I could follow when I first started coming around, even when I was still drinking and trying, you know, and allegedly going to meetings was to keep coming back no matter what, no matter what, keep coming back. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you get it. Doesn't matter if you feel good yet. You will, you know, but you can't, Nothing can happen if we don't come around. You know, we can't have this experience if we think we're just going to sit there and maybe talk on the phone every now and then or text somebody or maybe pick up a book or something like that. No, we got to come around. We got to go to meetings. 
You know, it's like that stool, three-legged, you know, unity recovery service. You know, we got to have that. Um, you kick one of those aside and we're going to fall down. And, and it happens every time, you know, and we don't, you know, if my story is by no means, is it a prerequisite or, 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 a, you know, that anybody else needs to do it the same way. Um, I'm pretty open about that. There's a lot of guys that are, that are, you know, one chip wonders, you know, there's people that, that people that got, it, you know, um, it can go that way. Um, but we don't have to beat ourselves up for that for the extended period of time that I did either. Um, but that comes down to the point where we cease fighting. You know, that's what had to happen. Um, rigorous honesty, they say. I'd like to say brutally honest. You know, a lot of times my sponsor had to be brutally honest with me. You know, but the biggest direction that I could follow from the from the get go was I just kept coming back. That's all. You know, I just kept coming back no matter what. I'd come to meetings even even after I'd been drinking. You know, I don't, obviously that's not what I recommend, but, um, but one way or another, it kept me around. If I wouldn't have done that, um, we wouldn't be sitting here today doing this. That's for sure. And no matter what, the other thing is get a sponsor <laughs> and do the steps, all of them in order, <laughs> in the order that they are. They're that way for a reason. And, you know, quite frankly, after you've done them and you've gone through this, that part of the experience, you wouldn't want to do them a different way anyway. You know, everything makes sense. So for the newcomer out there, you may not understand that now, but eventually you will. You just all you got to do is keep coming back. That's it. Thank you so much, Woo-hoo. Paul. Let, let's give a round of applause for Paul and his higher power for, uh, for bringing that today. That studio sounds good, and that, the uh, the microphone uh, mint. We just upgraded to a brand new mic, so you know that's why yep. it sounds so good. I'm Mike, grateful alcoholic. Um, thank you so much, Paul. Uh, man, I love this program. You know the um, the gems that come from sobriety that you touched on. Um, a couple things that I can identify with. I don't want to take all of them. So that way I can leave some for Dennis and James uh, and, and talk about what they related. But I remember sharing the first time after I did uh, my fifth step, I was asked to tell my story in Burlington, Vermont, where I got sober. That was the only requirements of I didn't have to be any further along than I had to do my fifth step. And afterwards, I could tell my story. And... When I told it, someone came up to me after and said, you know, I could relate because I didn't feel like I fit in either. And what you said, Paul, was exactly what she said to me was then I realized that I didn't really want to. And it's amazing that the like the way that we feel we all, you know, drink or use differently a lot of the ways. But if you do work the steps and have some relationship with a higher power and it's, it's all different too for each of us, but that relationship for me is key. And I need to make sure that I, I remember that. And you talked about, you know, uh, different things happening when you were still uh, uh, drinking and you were still out there. 
and you know something would happen but it wouldn't be bad enough another six years would go by wouldn't be bad enough another seven years would go go by wouldn't be bad enough that to a t was what happened when i got a dui and then it took another seven years i really only took maybe one night off from it and then i said you know what it's not that bad. I didn't kill anybody, even though when I got my DUI, I was feet away from running somebody over. And that could have been me. And my higher power made it so it wasn't so, you know? Um, and it got me into the rooms. The Jekyll and Hyde situation, when I talked to my story, that was, that was the last several years of it. But uh, for me, the most important thing that I could relate to was the fact that I do have those pink cloud moments and there are tremendously low points that come in times. Your low point was different than my low point and everybody has theirs. Uh, but it's about realizing and you said God is everything or he is nothing. And I'm glad that I know by looking at it, that God is everything today. And that's what I need to keep reminding myself that there's no in between. I know that there is a God and I'm not it. And that's the most important thing. So I can appreciate what I have around me today. Cause I'm just, I'm just renting it. You know, I'm just, I'm just borrowing this and I'm going to try to give it back to anyone that's willing to accept it. Uh, so I'm grateful for this program and especially for you telling your story today. Thank you so much, Paul. Gentlemen, who wants to be next? Um, I'll go since I'm holding <laughs> the very expensive microphone. Um, uh, thanks, Paul, for being here. I heard you speak, what, like last week or something this past weekend. And right after, I was like, hey, you got to do our podcast. And you're like... <laughs> Okay, when? And like you were all about it. So I really appreciate that. It was easy scheduling and everything. Um, but I guess I'll jump right into I can relate to kind of like what Mike did. I think that was real big for me when I was younger, the wanting to fit in, finding a place where I like belonged. And it was like this internal, like, I don't know, like self-identity type quest where I didn't know where I fed, felt in. With my family, I felt like I was the black sheep. I didn't necessarily fit in. And like different groups at school and stuff and different like sports that I was a part of or extracurricular activities, I always felt like I didn't fit in. And the first time that I did feel like I kind of fit in was when I started doing drugs and drinking and stuff when I started smoking pot in high school and doing that kind of stuff here as I felt found a bunch of, you know, I don't know, misfits, I guess that didn't fit in as well. So it's like I, I could find a place here. And then after like years and years of that, I didn't feel like I fit in there anymore either. And then, you know, obviously we all know the stories of, the years of the drug use and that not working and stuff. But then when I came, when I figured out I didn't want 
like I didn't necessarily fit in there. That's when the isolation really started because I still, again, I didn't have anywhere I felt like I belonged. So I isolated with myself and that just, you know, makes things worse. And then you, you talked about when you first came into the meeting, you didn't really understand did or like whatever, like, but you found out or you figured like, you know, this is time I'm going to do this. And, you know, these people have something I don't have or whatever. And I had a very similar feeling because I was in such a dark place for so long that like I had no other way. You know, I had tried everything that I could think of or that I knew how to do and none of it worked. And when the first AA meeting that I had, I had that experience of like a little bit of hope. I, I figured, wow, here's a whole bunch of people that are talking about the shit that I'm going through and the shit that I've gone through and they're laughing about it. And they all seem relatively normal. I use the relatively strongly. But, you know, they seem like they're living a life and they're happy and they're able to laugh at the stuff that I'm unable to laugh at. So I figured they must they have something here. So I made the decision. It's like, OK, I'm going to come back. And then eventually, not too long after, it's like, OK, I'm going to do this, thing. you know, because I literally had no other options. And I figured if I, you know, we hear the cliche, if you want what we have, do what we do. I figured like, well these people say they did this to get this way. So I'm going to honestly give this a shot and it's worked. You know, I mean, I'm still at a phase where I feel like I'm still growing. I still got to be on top of everything and like whatever. And I still slide backwards and forward with different things, but I'm not drinking. I'm not using and life is less of a roller coaster and more of a slow incline, you know, and it gets better and better. And then I'll end with saying this is like, I, I remember when you stopped coming around, when your wife passed on and it was noticeable. Like when you were gone, people noticed that you were gone. People asked about you constantly. And it was, it was good when you finally did come back. And, you know, uh, like, before this whole pandemic hit, we had like, we've had conversations. We've probably gone out to pizza and hung out a little bit, but I feel like because of this pandemic, I actually got to know you mm -hmm. a lot better. And right. I've definitely spent a lot more time with you right. because like you said, we were able to like go on the social distance bike rides and stuff like that. And we did that like almost every night when there wasn't even any meetings to go to, there were no night zoom meetings like at the beginning and stuff. And we just, we had our own little meetings with mm -hmm. the little herd and, and we rode bikes and that was, that's really cool. And mm -hmm. now like beyond that, we're going to meetings again. Um, but we still do stuff, you know, we'll go hang out at the garage and y'all work on the, on the dirt bikes while I'm scrolling on Twitter or something <laughs> and, and stuff like that. And it's really cool. And then also I really end with this is like when I hear every time I hear your story, I think it's, it's an inspiration to me. And it truly is. I'm, I'm sincerely saying this because you talk about the stuff that you've gone through and that you've gone through recently. And it's, it's like unimaginable thing, like things that you wouldn't think that you could make it through, you go through and you go and you went through it and you didn't drink, you know, you might've like stopped coming to meetings for a, a little bit, but it wasn't that long and you came back. 
and you're not afraid to share your story and be open about it. And you've found joy in life again. And that's an inspiration. It's like if, if someone can go through that kind of stuff and hand in themselves with that kind of dignity, then that's an example for me to do the same when I'm going through stuff. And that's a truly an inspiration. So I, every time you share your story, like I appreciate it. And I, and it's, I think it helps a lot more people than you realize. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. So with that, here's James. Thanks Dennis. I'll try to be careful with this <laughs> microphone. <laughs> it's gold plated. So, okay. Uh, Paul, you know, that was the first time I've heard your story. I've heard bits and pieces uh, from you talking and from other people, but it was uh, it was quite the story, and um, you told it very well. And um, man, you you've lived through a lot. And um, you know, that being said, by living through all that and seeing how you are now, I know you're going to help a lot of people. You know, just the way you are, because um, people can see the way you are, the way you carry yourself. You have God. Um, but you've been through it and you came out the other side. That's just, you know, a recipe for success in this program. And uh, I know if I was coming in, I'd want you to be my sponsor for sure. And, um, you know, I personally have, have not ever lost anyone close to me. And, um, you know, I'm 40 years old. So I know like California Rob said, it's, it's, it's coming, man. You just, you just gotta be prepared for it. And, you know, I don't know how I will react to it. Um, I could isolate. Um, I could, you know, just be morose for a while. But I, I do know that through this program and the help of, you know, my friends and fellowship, my sponsor, I don't have to take a drink because of it. And, um, you know, and I don't like to think about that. You know, I like to stay in the day, in the moment. And if something comes, you know, I, I try to, you know, turn everything over to God and, um, and just be grateful for what I have. And, um, you know, I, I see the gratitude in you. I see it. And I, I see the smiling and the just, it, it's really good to hear your story. And I really appreciate you coming in and uh, sharing. So uh, I'll give it back to Paul. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. And uh, yeah, there were, there were several times just to wrap up that I, uh, I, you, you know, when like you hear something and I think it is like identifying to like the nines when emotions kick in, somebody tells a story and you got goosebumps like all over you because you are like, you're so connected. And when you talked about the, the conversation that you had recently with your, with your daughter and that she can't even picture that my, my daughter is, is really young. She's only two. She didn't see me drink, but thinking of the future and um, going to pretty soon start bringing her into meetings because it's such a positive thing. I can't, I can't wait for uh, to be able to introduce her to you and to the other amazing, amazing people in the rooms that can uh, yeah. influence like the the future of what good human humans should be you know and i'm so grateful for for you guys and everybody that's in studio and everybody that's listening right now like you don't have to drink you don't have to use ever again 
And this is a great reminder of that. So I don't, I don't know what it is about today. If maybe I'm just like really connected, but, but your story um, I know is going to move a lot of people and uh, our days are better because you are here and you are in our lives. So thank you so much, Paul, honestly. Oh, thank you. Um, wow. Thank you. I oh, did. I, <laughs> you're gonna get you're gonna make I, me I, try, I, actually. I just, uh, <laughs> you know i i think we have to say that right like we have to say that it, it, it's it's all about appreciating each other and uh and we definitely feel that way mm. towards you uh so every single week as we say we're going to be back next thursday sharing our experience strength and hope with you on episode 59 and where the defective character is entirely ready to have all these character defects removed Remember? Love and tolerance is our code. Awesome.